0: hey sports fans you're tuned into the emerald city fandom podcast
1: we're seattle fans talking seattle sports
0: we're your hosts i'm connor i'm sam and i'm justin you ready to get started
1: let's send it
0: welcome back to the pod folks this is episode 62 And Sam and I are going to try to abbreviate this episode to about 60 to 70 minutes or so. I'm giving us 10 minutes of leeway there, Sam. I know that we had said 60
1: minutes.
0: (laughs) You know how we roll. Yeah. We're talking Husky football. Pretty hard for us to keep it under an hour, but we're both, you know, you you just had a long drive over to Spokane area. Yeah. I got a, you know, again, a five week old that. I'm not getting too, too, a lot of sleep right now, so I wouldn't mind getting to bed pretty quickly here. But we obviously did w- want to talk about this, uh, the, the debut game of the Kalen DeBoer era and a big win for, for our dogs on Saturday. So um, before we get into that game, how are, you, how are you celebrating the win, Sam? What are you sipping on tonight? Um, if anything, I know you just like got over there, so I don't even know if oh, you have anything with you.
1: Please, do I have anything? You I, came prepared. I, when I leave the front door... I check for my wallet, my phone, my keys, and my Jack. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got some Jack Daniels. Quote of the night. Yeah. So I'm working on some Jack Daniels. How about you? What are you sipping on?
0: Well, I got a little something special out tonight to celebrate the first win of the season. Um, It's the uh, bottled Manhattan that my company ships the vermouth over to. This is called Litchfield. I think it's in Iowa there is where they're based um oh no sorry this is uh literally this is Connecticut yeah this is Connecticut um and they use our um Jamie vermouth and uh our sweet red vermouth and their bottled Manhattan so I'm sipping on that bottled Manhattan tonight
1: very nice a little bit fancy yeah, but I is this the same bottle that you've had of that for a while or do you
0: yeah
1: them? yeah reinforce no
0: I no, I have not ordered more. This is this is still the same bottle. I, you know, I save it for special occasions, like first one of the season.
1: Oh, first one of the Kalen DeBoer era.
0: And how about it with some fireworks too? Well, like, obviously we'll we'll go over the game and stuff in some details. UW beats Kent State 45 to 20, and you were pretty close in your prediction, Sam. So I feel like you had kind of like the best, um, prediction just in general with how the game was going to go too but was there anything like that uh, even even I feel like when we were texting you seemed like like pleasantly surprised at some things that were happening maybe a little bit disappointed in some other things that were happening like how closely aligned did it go with what you were expecting on Saturday and um, did anything surprise you or, or catch your eye um, what what stood out to you just first thoughts
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it went as well as it could have possibly gone. And I know going back to our last episode as a preview to the game, my main desire was to wake up the next morning Sunday and feel like Kalen DeBoer's performance on the field and the coaching staff's performance on the field in their first game together matches the momentum and the hype and the fact that they've done everything right in the offseason. That when the game, when the clock strikes zero, we feel like that momentum continues rolling down the hill. And they did that in spades. I think there's a lot to unpack in this game that lends us to feeling that way. First and foremost, just winning the first game of the season and like erasing the memory of what happened last year is first and foremost, most important but mm-hmm. to win and cover the spread the way that we did like yeah that's a really good statement win first game of the season in Husky Stadium and i think that there's a lot to like in terms of how refreshing it was to see the offense the offensive yeah. scheme but really for me like the first game of the season what you look for is tackling penalties and special teams and i think in some regards, and I'll give some credit. Some, some, some one of one of our uh, insiders gave me that tip. You can guess who it, you can guess who it was, <laughs> <coughs> Coach Separdo. That's fair. But That's when fair. you when you look look at the game that way, the thing that stood out to me was the lack of penalties. Like, yeah. for a new era, new offensive scheme. Yeah, we had a couple pre snap penalties on offense, but in general. It was, it looks like a very well coached team. We mm-hmm. didn't tackle well and we didn't play well on special teams, which you would expect yep. in week one. But I walk out of that game feeling like everybody on the field knows what their role is. And the coach has absolute buy-in and control of this team. And that feels great. Like, I don't know how the season's going to go or how talented this team is or what this, you know, sky might be for this team. But what I do know after that game is that they're bought in to DeBoer. And I think nothing showed that more than who got the game ball at the end of the game, which I'm sure you saw. And if so, you should talk a little bit about that at the end of the game.
0: Yeah, that was a pretty cool clip that, UW football, social media shared. Um, I I think I saw it on their Twitter page, but I'm sure it was on like Instagram and stuff too. Yeah. Um, but it was a video of Alex cook, one of the captains on this year's team, uh, starting safety who had a pretty good game as well, but one of the leaders obviously on this team, um, giving the gift, the game ball to head coach, Kalen DeBoer for his first win at UW. I um, and he had a nice little intro to that basically that he's been here for six years and, you know, this one's special and, um, you know, it, just welcoming and embracing this new head coach and what he brings to the table. Um, totally echo your sentiment sentiment there, Sam, that you can tell that the players are bought in because they were all, you could tell how happy yeah. they were for Coach DeBoer um, and how happy he was too to receive that from them and how much that meant to him. So, yeah. Um, You know it's one of those things i just had to keep pinching myself that it was kent state the whole time yeah on saturday let's not Um, lose that let's not
1: lose the fact that that kent state defense is bad bad. (laughs) very bad like not not like cool bad like bad means good it it, bad means bad when you're kent State's defense
0: literally we had just receiver after receiver running wide open against them um and I mean, I think some of that scheme, like I, I, I do think that our receivers are going to cause mismatches, and our scheme is going to cause mismatches throughout the year. And you're going to, it, it's not like that's going to be a completely um, outlier, uh, like, like performance on on Saturday. What we right. saw this year, um, but it might not be quite as easy as it seemed to come. Literally, I mean, what we, Pennix had eight drives or. Eight drives. It was eight or nine drives, and he scored on all of but one, I think. Yeah. So uh obviously just the offense was clicking on all cylinders. So refreshing to see that. And um oh, wasn't that <laughs> something that I just we just have not seen. And I mean Michael Penix was I brought his name up briefly there, but like we should talk about the quarterback position because yeah. that was impressive. And I was not expecting um, that type of performance. I feel like it, it was literally, he couldn't do anything wrong. It seemed like, and he had all day back there. I mean, that again, Kent state, they aren't known for their pass rushing or anything like that. So I think that lends itself to helping out, helping out in that aspect, but literally just picking out receivers left and right and spreading the ball around, you know, you get, if you just look at the receiving statistics, you got five receptions for 87 yards for Jalen McMillan, Roman Dunze, seven receptions, 80, 84 yards, Tosh Davis, three receptions, 72 yards. Go on down the list and there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 guys that got touches in the passing game, um, which is just, you know, that's exactly what you want out of an offense because it means one, you have a lot of different threats with the ball, and you can spread the ball around. Um, but two, more than anything, it just, it, it means that you have an offense that you can attack at from different angles, you know, like the, And they did that in spades on, on Saturday. And it's just something that we have not seen since probably that 2016 Jake Browning CFP season. Um, So I'm just kind of rambling right now. (laughs) Like it was just, it was very refreshing and astonishing to see the offense operate at that high of a level. And Michael Penix jr. Was all, you know, was a big reason because of that. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was just unbelievable in terms of living up to fitting the bill, exceeding the bill. I mean we all know back in 2019 2020 early on in the season like he was in the Heisman contention halfway through the year before he got injured so we knew that he had like he holds an extremely high ceiling high potential but I think this offseason with transferring to UW and I think the coaches have done a good job kind of lowering expectations citing his injury history he hasn't played in a while this and that but at the end of the day what we saw on saturday was someone who looked like they are a they have been a regular starter for four years which he has been outside of the injury history someone who has complete faith in their arm talent arm strength making throws from the far hash to the sideline 40 yards down the field that's an incredible touchdown pass to Taj davis so that was yeah I think Probably at the end of the day, as play. a Husky fan, what you're pumped about is like, and again, it is Kent State, but what you you saw a big difference between the five passes that Dylan Morris threw at the end of the game. Oh, God, um, dude. And, and, and Pennix Jr.'s passes. And what you realize as a Husky fan is, one, holy shit, hopefully Pennix never gets touched and stays upright for the whole year because we're kind of screwed i, I do yeah. look good but my main point there is that we have a guy we have a dude in mm-hmm. the sense that pennix has been there done that played on the biggest stage against ohio state on national tv thrown for five touchdowns looked cool under pressure like that's our guy like number nine in the husky uniform is a big deal and i think this coaching staff and the local media did a good job kind of keeping that under wraps. I think more than anything, because based on spring practice reports, fall practice reports, nobody was predicting a breakout performance to me. I mean, we thought he would be good. Yeah, but I mean, he looked
0: better. We thought, we thought it was going to be better than last year, right? That was basically our frame of reference,
1: but he made it look like hot knife through butter. Is what it was like.
0: Yeah, it was it was just the comfort level, I think, that surprised me the most. Um, And maybe it shouldn't have just because he's run the offense before and stuff. But like he just looked so comfortable and so in control of the of the game the entire the entire night, um, which was just super refreshing to see because we just haven't seen that from the quarterback position in several years now. Um, I really underestimated, I think, his arm strength and accuracy. Like, check check. Those are both above average. I mean, very like very well, good enough. You know, I wouldn't say oh, yeah. either one's probably elite, but like you can certainly win, especially in this offense with his his physical traits.
1: Yeah, I mean the defense is going to have to guard every throw on the field. Yeah. Bottom
0: line. Yeah, yeah, and that that throw that you you quoted there, his touchdown th- throw to um, Tosh Davis in the first quarter. I think that still was. Yeah, I believe um, so. Second score of the game. Yeah, that was I, that was definitely his best throw of the night. Like, you know, far hash to the numbers, 32 yards down the field. So it's probably like a 50 yard, you know, completion because he's, yeah. you know, seven yards back and throwing it across across the field there. Um, and it was right on the money and it was a great route by Taj Davis too. I mean, all the receivers were excellent. There was a few drops in there. Jalen McMillan, I think had one, um, Devin Culp, I know had one at one yeah. point. Um, but I mean, it's hard to criticize much of the passing game in general in, in this, in this game on Saturday, if we are going to criticize anything on the offense, it's going to be probably that rushing attack. Um, yeah. hopefully I didn't cut off anything that you were going to say on, on the receiving stuff. I feel like we mostly covered that that though, but I wanted to switch over to this rushing attack because, yeah. um, it's something that going in, you know, I mean, Kent state was given up what, 250 yards on the ground, a game, uh, last year and not much had changed. So I, I think they haven't, you said they had a new defensive coordinator, I guess, but as far as personnel wise, not much yeah. had changed for them. Um, and we didn't find a ton of success, consistent success on the ground on, on Saturday. I mean, you subtract out that 28 yard touchdown run, the first score of the game with Wayne Tull of Papa on fourth and one, um, and you're at 104 yards rushing on the night, um, on 33 carries, which is well below four, four yards, four yards to carry. So yeah. Just not probably up to up to snuff if if we're, if we're looking at this realistically. Um, obviously, the passing offense was amazing and made up for that in spades. But we're going to need to see some more from that rushing attack going into the later parts of this season, especially as the weather starts to turn. So that was that was a bit disappointing and a bit of a let off. Um, who were kind of the guys that, that, you know, like maybe caught your eye in good or bad ways? What was your overall takeaway of the rushing rushing game? On yeah, I,
1: I think my overall take is very similar to yours. I mean, they they definitely left something to be desired in terms of production. I will say some of the linemen popped out in positive ways, some in negative ways. I think the first yeah. that really jumped off the screen to me was Nate Kalepo at left guard, played a mm-hmm. really physical game. I mm-hmm. believe he was also given lineman of the week. I think,
0: I think you're right. Yeah. I'm a Roger
1: Rosengarten, but those are the two that really flashed to me. And, you know, they definitely had their, you know, I'll say freshman moments, even though I'm not sure exactly what their eligibility are. They, they might both be red shirts. I'm not sure, but it's regardless, their first game in game experience was this past weekend and so they definitely had their moments where they weren't assignment sound and whatnot, but what jumped off the tape for me was the physicality and the nastiness and the finishing of blocks that these two had. On that when pen when Michael Penix Jr. slid a bit early, I think this was oh, yeah. on our second drive. And yeah, that was, was right
0: before that that infamous fourth and one, yeah, <laughs> that we so, can talk about in a second, too. Yeah,
1: and we will bring that up. But it was fourth and one on that fourth and one QB sneak. If you watch Roger Rosengarten's get-off on the ball and how much push he got immediately and how violently mm-hmm. he attacked his opposing lineman, it was like damn, that's what we want to see. Like he gets yeah. after it. Colepo gets after it. So those two popped off in, in a positive way, just in terms of the mentality and the, and the aggressive nature they bring to the position. I think over time, as they become more experienced in assignment sound, I think the future is really bright for them. On the downside, I would say two things. First, Jackson Kirkland didn't play. So that's something that's going to factor in this weekend is sure. how – I imagine he's going to get some run because I imagine we're going to want him to play Likely the entire game against Michigan State because he's probably our best offensive lineman, so you got to get him mm-hmm. some reps against Portland State. So what? How does that look? Um, but not ha- not having him, it felt like we'd certainly missed him on the offensive line. And then the only other position that stood out to me in a a fairly glaring negative way was the center position. We had Corey Luciano, who is, you know pretty much praised all off season about how great he's been Kent state for, you know, the, the, you know, porous defensive rushing numbers they've put up in the past years. They do have a big boy in the middle. They had like a 320, 330 pound nose tackle that gave our center Corey Luciano fits to the extent that we saw a switch towards the end of the second quarter where they replaced him with Mike Chris or no, Mateo Mele, Mike Chris. That's yep. a blast from the past. Yeah, that, I was gonna say, where did that come He's from? on the team still. <laughs> no, that's back when we were in school. That was bizarre. Correct. I think they both wear 78. Maybe that's what it was. But Mateo oh, Mele came in and finished the game at center. And so I'm not feeling great about who's who's running the cockpit there. But those are my general takeaways. I think the running backs probably left a couple of yards out there as well. I'm not going to place all the blame on the offensive line. But I would say, in general, pass pro was amazing. Run blocking, there's still a lot to figure out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think in terms of playing assignment sound football, I feel like it's a bit more glaring in – run game than it is the pass game like it's it's a bit more Mm -hmm. natural to drop back and try to create that pocket and just look for stunts and blitzes than it is to you know pull the right direction or know whether you're pulling or down blocking and vice versa so um hoping for some improvement there for sure
0: yeah i'm glad that you brought up a lot of the um offensive line you know, characteristics of the run game, just because that's not even where my mind was um, when I was asking you that question. But like, those are the points that, you know, definitely are are valid and need to be made because the offensive line obviously did perform a lot better in the pass passing game right. than it did in the running game. And that's a huge part of the running game is, is how well, you know, you're opening up holes. Um, if I, if I'm just bouncing off of that though, and kind of going back to what I was thinking, you know, <sighs> You mentioned it very briefly there, but these these running backs are are not exactly, you know, hitting their stride. You know, I would say they're 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 not they're not popping on on film at all. To to me, whenever I'm looking at these highlights, um, as much as the the coaching staff really praised Wayne Talapapa, he didn't look that impressive to me on once 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 the game got rolling. I mean, he had that nice fourth and one scamper, but it was really good blocking on that play. You he basically just that. had a wide open. Yeah. He basically just had a wide open hole to the end zone. Um, and, you know, you, you subtract that out and he's got what, 10 carries for 39 yards. Yeah. So, I mean, nothing, nothing really to write home about on that. Will Nixon had a couple little, he had one really nice run, I thought. Um, but other than that, really didn't flash that much. Cam Davis honest his stats wouldn't tell the tale of the tape I think but like honestly I thought he flashed the most to me um I have to think that he he just he looks the most capable of being a solid every down running back for us of the guys that played um I have to think that it's it's got to be his pass pro that is keeping him off the field um you know or at least behind on the depth chart when it comes to the running back order um, pecking order, but he looked the most dangerous with the ball in his hands that I'm hoping that, you know, the carries get split up a little bit differently as the season goes on, just because I think there is still something there with Cam Davis. You know, he, he was a highly recruited guy out of Texas and, you know, someone that we've talked about a lot on this podcast and you've seen flashes of it. You saw flashes of it last year against Stanford and he's got that in him, um, and it, he's, he still looked that dangerous on, on on Saturday. He just honestly didn't get the opportunities, probably, that he deserved um, or is capable of deserving, I should say. Um, so those were just kind of my takeaways from the running back room. I don't know if you had anything different to say there before we switch over to the def- defensive side of the ball.
1: No, I, I completely agree. I think Cam Davis is blatantly the most dangerous option we have there in terms of just the way they look and feel with the ball in their hands. He's just got a different gear to him than what yeah. we saw out of Talapapa and Nixon. And and really Talapapa isn't that type of guy we knew he wouldn't be, but sure um I was hoping to see maybe a little bit more out of Nixon than what we were able to see. Uh um, yeah. And and Cam Davis at the end of the day he like his rushing stats don't show it. I mean 2.3 yards per carry isn't great but the right. two the two catches he had for 22 yards both for first downs were really nice catch and runs and yeah we caught the, caught the ball behind the, the the sticks and he put his head down and made sure to pick up the first down and that's just those are critical plays I too often find myself watching a receiver or a running back catch the ball behind the sticks and Not have the situational awareness of where the line to gain is. And that was what kind of stood out to me about him, too, is like both times he caught the ball, it was like obvious he knew exactly where he needed to get to pick up the first down. And, you know, I know he's had some ball security issues in his past. So I don't know if that kind of creeped up on him in fall camp or spring. Well, spring, he was injured. So he might be working his way back, but I'm totally aligned with you. I think Talapapa and Nixon are fine. I don't think they're bad by any means, but they're not going to. It doesn't seem based off of what we saw week one, that they're game breaking type talents where there's still a light at the end of the tunnel, a glimmer of hope that Cam Davis could harness some of that game breaking potential. And who knows? Maybe this weekend against Portland state, that's, that's what we see.
0: Yeah, it'll just be something to keep an eye on what the snap counts are at the running back position going forward. Someone we didn't see on Saturday who isn't healthy quite yet, it looks like, is Sam Adams, and he's his name's come up on 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 the podcast before and in a numerous press conference leading up to the season. So he's a name to look forward to once he is healthy. Um, I don't think we have an update on that. He, I mean, I think he's kind of week to week, so he could play this Saturday. He might not. Hopefully we see him just because I'm interested to see what he brings to that running back room because it definitely needs some juice and needs needs a difference maker there. Um, if if we're going to have any kind of consistent success uh, this year, once conference schedule hits. Um, switching over to the defense side of the ball, just very briefly. I think the defense was very like on the on the complete opposite side of of the offense. The defense was, you know, very up and down, I'd say pretty inconsistent. Throughout the night, Kent State did pose some problems. We knew that that was probably going to be the case, though. They have an explosive offense. um, And, you know, this is a new defense that all these players are getting used to and completely different from what what they were playing last year. Um, A lot more aggressive. We talked about it going into the game. You know, it's going to be a more aggressive defense. It's going to be more susceptible to big plays. Kent State's first score, you know, a one-on-one mish pal is on an island against their receiver and gets beat deep for a long touchdown so um that's going to happen this year uh, you know just it, it's our receiver our cornerbacks are not going to have as much safety help over the top because we're probably only going to have one free roaming safety up top not two um so that'll just be part of the part of the um part of the part of the game as far as that goes. But what you mentioned earlier, Sam, I think is probably the biggest issue and needs to get cleaned up sooner rather than later is the tackling. Right. And notably with sacks, you know, we had, we had their quarterback wrapped up about four or five times and only got him on the ground once. Um, so that was pretty disappointing as well, but also somewhat expected that you're just a little bit sloppy you know, hitting people because you haven't hit people live in a game for a while. So hopefully that gets cleaned up. I know that there was one player in particular that stood out to you, Sam, and I want, you, I want to give you the mic to be able to talk about him. And it's someone that we've talked about on the podcast before um, quite a bit. And we've been kind of waiting for this guy to emerge and break out. And I think he finally did, you know, not in a big, big way, but it was noticeable. It was a noticeable difference. And you could see that this could lead to greater things for this player.
1: Yeah, for sure. There, there were two guys that really stood out in a positive light. Your run-up made it obvious who you want me to talk about, so I'll talk about yeah. him first. <laughs> local, product, I, I know the Sa- other guy
0: you're going to talk about.
1: Now. <laughs> yeah, local product, Cavel Smalls. Well, actually, now that I think about it, it's probably three. I'll talk about okay, two, yeah. and I'll leave. I'll leave one for you. I think you know who that is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyways, local product, five star Savelle Smalls for the first time, you know, his third year on campus really flashed in in a positive way on the football field on Saturday, which was just Mm -hmm. so refreshing to see. He had six tackles, three solos, and, you know, for sure there was still containment issues, which have riddled his career to this point in terms of, you know, he he gave up the edge on two or three RPOs that you know gave up five to 15 yards which we want to see that get cleaned up but first and foremost he just looks different he looks so much bigger I mean I watched the game with my dad and you know I don't know if he I think my dad totally wiped his hard drive from 2021 so I don't (laughs) he was like oh holy shit spell smalls whoa he's big (laughs) like i don't remember him being that big (laughs) i mean it Uh was it stood out to my dad who's like he doesn't follow the team as closely as we do or probably some of our regular listeners but
0: well we're kind of crazy so
1: yeah we're definitely crazy but like if if somebody's physical appearance on the football field stands out in a major way to him it's like they put in some work or I guess it could also be bad, but in Savell's case, he put on a <laughs> lot of good size. He looks the part of a true outside linebacker defensive end. And, you know, there are a couple of plays he made that were just so nice. There was a play where he was running a, a TE stunt to the inside and just totally stuffed the ball carrier right in the gap and made a great tackle physical play and you could tell by the way he celebrated like he's just more engaged into this defense than he has been mm-hmm. and whether that goes back to the buy-in that we talked about off the top with Kalen DeBoer he just he I mean that's got to be his career high of tackles right at six, Oh absolutely be. yeah not even close yeah. And, you know, there's a couple of times you mentioned it tackling an issue, particularly in the sack department with only one on the board from Braylon Trice. There were probably three or four sacks that we left out there and and Savell was right in there as well. I mean, I think there is two other occasions I can think off the top of my head where ZTF or Braylon Trice probably beat him to it off the jump, but he was pressing the edge as well. So I think just yeah. Seeing him come along and, and start to develop is super promising. And that's what we should expect from a lot of the pundits and, and real Husky insiders that we speak to or, or read or listen. That, you know, Savelle was highly regarded as a five-star coming out of high school because of his physical abilities, height, size, weight, speed, and just natural strength but that he was a project that technically he didn't have the skill set to become a pass rusher or an every down defensive end and i think we're seeing for the first time in his again this is this is third year on campus for the first time seeing some of that potential come to fruition and again there's plenty to clean up on his behalf so i don't it wasn't like an all-star performance but just super pleasing to see him um come along in a positive light and see him feel like he's engaged and excited about the role that he has on this team is really awesome. So um, I'll save my, my second person, but I'll, I'll let you go. I know you're probably just sitting on your hands. So excited about this performance on Saturday.
0: <laughs> my boy finally came through, you I know, called it. two years too it. late. I did call it. I did call it just two years <laughs> too early. I was, I was, you know, thinking into the future about this guy, but Asa 2020 Turner. 2020 or
1: 2022? I got mixed up.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Did those seasons even exist? I mean, I'm talking, yeah, I don't know. Asa Turner. Or now he's just going by Asa, I think, because that's on the back of his back of his jersey. But two interceptions for the guy. He also had a few missed tackles, but you know that was that was great to see he he looked like a different player in this defense on on Saturday you know i wouldn't say that he's uh, he still leaves a little bit to to be desired when it comes to physicality like you'd s- still like to see a little bit more of that out of him because he has the body for it but for him to be you know the ball hawk that he was was a huge difference maker and you know right off the bat you get a pick On their first play of the game, that just really set the tone, I think, for for the rest of the game for for UW. So he just deserves a shout out, obviously, just because he's he's for the large part, you know, struggled and been uh, uh, an easy person to pick on um, when this Husky defense has struggled that hopefully this is a sign of things to come for him and a turnaround. You know, the the coaches have been talking about him a lot during the offseason, that he's just been a workout warrior, been in the film room a lot, and, you know, is one of the first people in the building and the last people out. So uh, it seems to be paying some dividends for him, at least just in that first game. So hopefully, again, sign of things to come. And he's finally maybe putting putting it together and living up to the potential that we saw, you know, in his true freshman year when we saw some of those flashes. So Asa Turner just deserves a little bit of a shout out, but go ahead and talk about, about your boy though. You know, the guy that you, I have, you, been you've been bones. loving on.
1: Yeah. I've been on this one for a while, but I, it's worth throwing you a bone on Asa. Cause it looked nice. <laughs> Both of his picks were really more than nice. a bone,
0: man. It was a few bones at least.
1: Oh yeah. I'll, it was probably two bones, two bones, <laughs>
0: <laughs> two interceptions, two bones. Okay. Yeah, that's fair.
1: I'll give it to him. But you know, finally healthy and you know yeah. Ron McKeefrey and this strength and conditioning staff have put a huge emphasis on getting leaner muscle mass and more speed and really maybe ZTF and this guy Alfonso Tupatala have taken that to heart. And man, Tupatala looked far and away our best tackler and our best arguably maybe our best defensive player outside of, you know, Asa coming away with two interceptions. That's pretty, pretty tough to beat, but consistently Tupatala is in attack mode. He's a downhill linebacker. He plays really aggressive. And honestly, I was looking to see some more of that out of Cam Bright, who's, you know, the big name transfer from Pitt. It was a team captain on the ACC champion Pitt they were they were champs last year right
0: uh yeah yeah they yeah, were they, with Kenny yeah. Pickett yeah
1: yeah and so you know he had kind of a lackluster game but Alfonso Tupatala yeah, was disappointing. Tupitolo led the team with eight tackles four solo one for tackle for loss but watching the coaches film just like really getting in there and seeing how quickly he triggers on his fits in the run game And the physicality that he plays with and quite honestly, the speed that we didn't really think was there. He's a local talent from federal way high school. He was a bigger kid in high school. Definitely had some, some weight to drop over the past couple of years. Then he missed a year and a half with an Achilles injury. He went down like a week or two with the Achilles tear a week or two after ZTF tore his Um, and I remember just feeling sick to my stomach, not only because we knew what ZTF could produce, but I've been high on Tupatala for a long time. So it was great to see him get in some game action and just obviously stand out as our most physical presence on the, on the defensive side of the ball for sure. So super pleased with what I saw from him. Um, but yeah, I think going back to the lead in on the defense, Connor, like, they're also, you know, we talk about Asa's positivities, seeing Savelle Small's pop was great. Tupatala getting a first game in a long time for him under his belt and looking like everything we hoped he could possibly be. But at the same mm. breath, like there was, at the end of the day, Kent State scored 20 points. And you you alluded to the big, long touchdown pass for 33 yards. but. To you, like, you know, our offense is tough to criticize at the end of the day. They put up 45 points. The defense gave up 20 to a lesser opponent. We knew that Kent State was a good offense, but like, what happened out there on the field? What were your takeaways from the defensive side of the ball where it's like, that makes me a little bit nervous? Maybe not this weekend against Portland State, but when Michigan State rolls into town. I'm a little bit worried about what on the defensive side of the ball.
0: Yeah. It's, it's one position in particular for me and that's cornerback. Um, you know, Sam and I talked about the transfer. It was, it was the two transfers that were the most disappointing to me. You already mentioned one in Cam Bright and two is this corner, Jordan Perryman, uh, from UC Davis. I always ask you, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. Um,
1: I think it might Pretty be Pretty sure that's correct.
0: Is it Irvine? Okay. I one of the so. one of the UC schools. Anyway, Jordan Perryman, you know, a highly sought after uh, you know, grad grad player this uh, grad transfer this this off season and came in with, you know, high marks and super athletic. Really was unimpressive though to me on on Saturday. Looks like you have an answer for me.
1: Yeah, you were right. It was Davis. UC
0: Davis. Okay. That's what I thought.
1: That's right, bitch. (laughs) You say what you wanted to say. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that.
0: (laughs) Uh, I I wanted to keep it PG for a second here, (laughs) because we're so PG on this podcast. So PG. But
1: earmuffs. Yeah, Billy.
0: Pretty much, Liam. Yeah, Liam. Um,
1: Liam's (laughs) gonna listen back to these relics. 20 years oh, he's gonna be now. like, Dad,
0: you're a total, you're a total loser uh, when you were 30 years old. Yeah, it's like, yeah, and you're probably not lying, but well, raised you. So
1: yeah. Apple doesn't fall uh, too far from the tree, Bucko.
0: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, we're talking about Jordan Perryman here. I don't want to talk about him. Obviously, uh, he did not play that well. And um, to add insult to injury, literally, he gets injured late in the game. Um, with it seemed like a, it was like a lower leg injury. It is what it seemed like. I don't remember what they ended up describing it as, but sounds like he actually came out of the came out of it relatively unscathed, and that he's day to day. He actually could possibly play against Portland State. I hope they just hold him out for this game, um, yeah. but we'll see what happens. Um, but it doesn't sound like it's a it's a super serious injury that should keep him out for very long. So that's a good thing. But at the same time, he didn't play that well. And we're really not deep at corner, though, is, is really the, the issue here. If he goes down and then suddenly they, they thrust Julius Irvin, who's been a safety his entire career, into that cornerback position. And I thought he played OK, but you could tell that it's not, you know, his natural position. He's a little bit grabby when it, when it comes to covering guys. Um, And a little physical, which is, can be a good thing, but he's, he also had a penalty against him and you'd probably see a lot of that. Um, I thought Mish Powell was okay. He got beat obviously for that touchdown. Um, He had a nice tackle for a loss though, read a screen pass really well. So um, it was good to see that, but for the most part, the cornerback position was pretty, pretty lackluster and could very much be an issue going forward as we get into a little bit more, you know, some of these more talented pass catchers consistently um, in our opponents.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think that Julius Irvin was an interesting
0: mm-hmm. development
1: because we've heard all about these young cornerbacks in terms of Devon banks showing out, you know, best hands in camp in the spring. Elijah Jackson's been a name that's popped up quite a bit. So you would have thought that, one of those two would have gotten the call. But the fact that Julius Irvin, who's, like you said, been at safety most of his career, popped over there to corner was, I'm not mad about it. I think we both have felt like somebody who's, you know, been less productive at this point in his career than we would have anticipated. But has a lot of potential, size, length, speed. So that's kind of an interesting development to, to keep an eye on. Um, I, I was really surprised when I saw that. I thought Devon banks for sure would have been the first guy off the bench, but yep, I echo the same sentiments. I think the the new defensive scheme puts these corners under a lot of stress under a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, they mm-hmm. are really out there on an Island alone. We're used to seeing the last eight years, under the Kwiatkowski-Lake defensive scheme, like a safety being 20 yards off the ball, nobody Mm -hmm. gets past them. To now, it's like, look at the first play of the game. Asa Turner at safety position jumps a five-yard slant and picks it off. Asa Turner's not 15 yards near that slant (laughs) last year. right? So, like, it makes me really nervous. Yeah, and so I think we're gonna find ourselves in this weird place where, like, for the first time in a decade, our defense could potentially be be got out there, and it's up to our offense just to keep up and outscore the opposing offense, which is like kind of where college football is going, to be honest. <laughs> right. There's not a whole lot of great defense being played out there, so we'll see how it goes, but. To your point, I guess, as a segue, you know, obviously hope, hope, hopeful that, you know, Jordan Perryman seemed, like, I was nervous because it was kind of a non-contact injury, but it sounds like he's going right. to be okay. Hopefully mm-hmm. they just hold him out of this weekend's game against Portland State. Um mm-hmm. But I guess segueing into the game, it's going to be Saturday the 10th at 1 p.m. on Pac-12 Network. Mm-hmm. What are you kind of. What are your thoughts going into the game? What are your expectations? Are you excited to watch the game? What general <laughs> thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, if if this was the first game of the season, you were nervous going into last week, weren't you?
1: Yes. Yes, I was.
0: Are you nervous now going no. into Portland State? Zero yeah. percent
1: nervous. This is so, chalk it up.
0: This is... This is, this is your tune up for the following weekend. And I'm not saying look ahead to Michigan state because we've learned that lesson. We don't want to do that. Take care of business on Saturday, but use this as, you know, to clean up some of those things that we've talked about that they struggle with, clean up your tackling, you know, get some of these, they played a lot of guys on defense on, on Saturday too. So, continue to do that, get some of these young guys' exposure. I'd like to see some of those young corners in. You mentioned Devon Bakes, Elijah Jackson. I'd like to see those guys play. Um, you know, on on offense, I'd like to see all three quarterbacks play if, if possible. Um, and I, it, Portland State, like, gave San Jose State, who's not all like, you, you know, not amazing either at football, but, you know, they gave them a run for their money last weekend so it's not like this team is you know chunk change like this isn't the portland state from what was it 2015-16 that we 16. blew out like yeah f- blew out like 59 to nothing or something like that it was 41 to 3 okay whatever or, but like
1: hold on let me i have it up here we're, we've played portland state twice We're 2-0 and 0. there was one that we, that we put like 12, 60 on them yeah in 2012 we won 52 to 13 Okay. In 2016, we won 41 to three. Okay. So I'm expecting. I was
0: combining those two, basically. I guess. Yeah, I'm ex- yeah.
1: Hey, shit. Well, why don't we just expect that? 52 sure. to three. There's your score.
0: Okay. <laughs> it's not what you have here, but I'll take it.
1: I might. I might change it. <laughs> you I'm gonna change it right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love that. But I also think this, this, you were just talking about this defense can be be got, I think just naturally, we're always going to have like some kind of breakdown on defense, like once a Mm -hmm. game, that's going to allow either a long touchdown or a complete change in field position that they're going to score off of. So I have Portland state putting up 13 points against us. I really want, I'm really tempted to change it to 10, but I have it, I have it at 13 and I have us winning 42 to 13 on, on Saturday. And this is just, again, we just got to take care of business. Just, just do what you're supposed to do. Don't do anything super fancy. I know this is exactly what we said going into the Montana game last year, but this is a different, this is a different deal. Like, oh yeah. Panic slinging the rock. I mean, this is, this looks for real. This looks rep. It, like as much as we talked about that it's Kent state on Saturday, like last Saturday, this looks replicable. You know, this this offense looks like it can it can function at a high level against good defenses too, just because it's so multiple and gets so many guys involved, get so many guys in space, and you have really talented guys to to get those yards after catch too once they once they get the ball in space. So just do what you're supposed to do against Portland State. You're you're the far superior team. You have way better athletes, just you know, overpower them in every way. And it should be a very, very comfortable victory. Glad that it's you know a 1 p.m. kickoff. Those are you know few and far between when it comes to UW games these days at home. So it's nice for the fans to have those 1 p.m. kickoffs. The especially people that are going to the game, um, and nicer on my eyes too. It's a little easier to stay up at 1 p.m. Yeah. than it is 7:30 with having a one-month-old. So I will say that as well. I wonder. Um, I
1: wonder how much of that has to do with the Pac-12 networks trying to throw UW a bone, trying to keep us. Keep us in the conference. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll give you I the prime. So. We'll give you the prime spot at one p.m.
0: Yeah, I don't think. I mean, because we're on Pac twelve, Washington. We're not even on the yeah, national network.
1: That, that's true. That's true.
0: So I don't think that's really true.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I'm. I'm gonna go. I changed my pick. Fifty two to three. I two love to three. It. I love let's, it. Let's yeah, do
0: it. I, I'd. I'd be all about that. Seriously, it'd. It'd be awesome. I. We should. It would be awesome to shut these guys out, right? Like, that would be a total statement, yeah, I think, from this defense be, if, if they're able to do that. But
1: I think at this point, like, I, I would be shook if our offense doesn't put up points. I'm expecting yeah. our offense to put up 40-plus.
0: It I just looks if, so
1: easy on Saturday. Yeah, and I anticipate that it's going to look easy this Saturday as well. My yeah. main takeaway on offense is Pennix can walk to the bus at the end of the game yeah that's what i'm looking for because if he can do that we're going to put up points on the defensive side of the ball is where i'll be really paying attention because again we're playing another really you know athletic strong quarterback and dante shashir shakir i don't know how to say his last name but like you said, they gave San Jose State a run for their money. I mean, he was 24, 37, 270 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. So he can be picked off, but he mm-hmm. was also their leading rusher 14 carries right. for 83 yards, six yards.
0: He's their offense per
1: carry. So, like, it's a very, it run. this whole offense runs through him. And so, like, all right, defense, you played well enough to win against Kent State. Generally looked fairly comfortable. You gave up 20 points. I think I would feel great if we won 40 plus to 10 or less. I think if we put up 40 and we hold them in single digits, that's perfect. That's what I'm looking Mm -hmm. for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talk so much about scores. I think more... More for me, I'm just looking for just improvement, mostly on the defensive side of the ball on Saturday. Like, obviously, I want a comfortable victory, but more more than anything, I just want to see the execution look better, the tackling look better. Um, I want to see, you know, us to have a game plan for, for that QB, just like Cam Bright or someone like that, just QB spy him. He should be athletic enough to, at least on paper, keep up with the dude, so... Do they execute that kind of game plan? Um, So those are kind of the things that I'm looking for Um, more than, more than a final score. But of course I'd love to hang 50 on these guys and, you know, basically shut them out. That would be, that would be preferred. Um, Anything else that you want to touch on going into Portland state? Like I I think next week's really going to be where it gets a little bit more juicy on, on the content. Assuming everything goes well on Saturday. So
1: yeah. Assuming, Michigan State, UW, both are two and zero going into Mm. week three. We're gonna have to have a good podcast there. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a big game.
0: And Justin might be back by then. Yeah, he should be. He's coming back on Monday, right? So
1: yeah, I sure hope so because that actually brings up a good point. Before we move off of the dogs, I'm so bummed that Justin couldn't watch this game.
0: He, oh, man. Would have he would fallen
1: have fallen in love with the biggest <laughs> romance on Kalen DeBoer ever. Going back to that, <laughs> the first two drives, we had a fourth down on both of them.
0: Oh, we didn't talk about this, yeah. And we went for, for it. it. Yeah.
1: Kalen DeBoer was like, "No, no, no, fuck that. We're going, we're going for it, both times." Yep. And we were successful, and both times led to a touchdown. But particularly the second call to go for it when Penix, I. Watched it. He was he definitely started his slide before the line to gain. It was originally spotted as a fourth and one. They looked at it and basically moved the ball back to practically fourth and two. Mm-hmm. De Boer on the sideline was losing his mind. He was so pissed. And he was like, No, fuck that. We're going, we're going for it <laughs> on our own 30-yard line, mind you.
0: Yep. Like, yep. The
1: total, just like set the tone. You know, in some regards, it fits what Justin wants, which is like, what do the analytics say you should do? They probably say to punt. But like at the end of the day, analytics in general tell you not to punt. And DeBoer was like, no, we're setting the tone. We're going to go out, score some points. And the way that we were throwing the ball, multiple level route concepts. I mean, Justin would have just made his day to and Pete to Carroll's
0: rolling game. over in his future grave you know watching watching us go for it from our own 30 yard line
1: exactly right so so I I hope Justin's back in order to be able to be part of that preview or at least like be back to watch the Michigan State game because it could be a really pivotable Pivotal I've had trouble with that word on this podcast The last two episodes Pivotal Pivotal Yeah Pivotal Weekend In Husky football history If we can get that dub Just being Against honest.
0: Michigan State
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah And I hope Justin's there Because if we do Play well I just think this This coaching staff Was created for somebody like Justin He's just gonna love <laughs> Everything that they do and they do it with a level of decorum and respect for the game, respect for the university and the state. It's yeah. just like hard not to like these guys at this point.
0: Oh, definitely. Uh, I if Saturday was a sign of any of the things to come, like this Husky season will make up for that and then some for how bad the Seahawks are about to be for Justin. So
1: yeah, it's. Sorry, put your seatbelt on Seahawks fans. It's gonna be bad.
0: And it all starts Monday night Monday night football. uh yeah, we're not gonna talk about that on this podcast right now.
1: Are you sure? um, instead <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm pretty sure. instead, <laughs> let's just do a
1: quick it at the end
0: I, I, I mean, we can just mention when the game is if people want to tune in um, but I mean I'm I'm kind of over it at this point. All right. <laughs> we can talk about the other team, though, across the town just very, very briefly. And just a quick update on the Mariners. They are right now. They are the fifth seed. So they're the second wildcard uh, team one game back of the Rays after kind of a disappointing drop in two out of three against the Chicago White Sox, um, who I'm looking at scores right now. They have put up 14 against against Oakland tonight. So apparently we started something with 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 the Chicago White Sox but anyway um so kind of a kind of a tough series there that you hate to swallow um, two losses in that series but they also won six straight games on the road before that um, and had a six 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 and0 road trip against uh Cleveland and what was the team that they played before that
1: uh Tigers Detroit
0: Tigers yeah which they took care of business against the Tigers but then obviously beat a pretty good Cleveland team in in all three games in Cleveland um which was awesome so that makes it a little bit easier to to swallow the two out of three but at the same time you just you you need to be winning these games that you should win down down the stretch um that being said you know they are five games up on the Orioles who are you know the first team out of the wild card so looking pretty good there Yeah. Um, with less than 30 games to play now. Uh, so big, big series against the Braves coming coming into town. This will be a good tester. You know, the world defending world champs coming into town. Are we really on that level or not? Um, this will be a good, good test for the boys, but at the same time, even if we lose two out of three, like I'm, I'm not sweating it too much because we have such a favorable schedule down the stretch. Um, so we'll we'll revisit this again, you know, in about a week. But for for the most part, Mariners are are taking care of business and and staying in the playoff hunt. And it's good to see that. Anything that you wanted to add to that, Sam, when it comes to Mariners, Steph?
1: I mean, I think just reiterating something that we've talked about on the podcast before—just how exciting it is that we are. You know, are we above ninety-five percent now?
0: Yeah, when we had when we had swept Cleveland, I think we were at ninety nine and a half percent or something yeah. like that.
1: I'm sure it's gone down slightly since then, but a
0: little bit. Yeah, it's 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 probably still above ninety five though, because the Baltimore Orioles have dropped a couple games too.
1: Right. So, I mean, that's just extremely exciting. I think the only thing I'll add to it is if you're a Mariners fan and have been on the bandwagon this season, or if you're you know a 1990s early 2000s mariners fan that's just been curb stomped too many years in a row (laughs) with how the season goes go to the ml go to mlb's twitter or mlb's youtube page Mm. i know that i know that seattle mariners probably social media reposted it but there's a great mlb network
0: i think it's mlb networks twitter page not mlb yeah
1: You're right. MLB network. There's a great seven to eight minute, you know, kind of hype video for the Seattle Mariners team that starts off with Julio Rodriguez and his contract extension talks about the different personalities on the team, like Suarez and Winker and the trades that we've made. It goes into the bullpen and, and, you know, the, the momentum and the feeling around town in terms of this is the team that could become seattle famous that gets us you know breaks the curse that the last 20 years haven't been in the playoffs it's an amazingly done video just go out do yourself a favor you know spend the 7 to 8 minutes and and watch it and jump on the bandwagon jump on the mariners train we got what'd you say 30 games left under 30 games left
0: less than 30 now yeah
1: and again the seahawks are going to be ass don't don't watch them. <laughs> Maybe watch them and, and boo Russell Wilson from your couch while you're drinking a, a Coors Light or a Montague. <laughs> but other than that, forget about the Hawks. Get on the Mariners bandwagon because this fall is going to be something that, you know, we haven't had since we were like 10. <laughs> and right? you got to enjoy it. Because who knows when it, it, when it's going to come back. Uh, hopefully, we're embarking on a long journey of success. Yeah. Hopefully, with
0: that 18 year contract, we're going to be winning, winning regularly in between and I think now
1: and Julio's I think we retirement. Will. I think we'll become a regular playoff team, which is just Amazing. super exciting. Yeah. Super, super exciting. But, anyways, the only thing that I'd add to the Mariners talk is start watching the games, watch the YouTube highlights. Go find that Los Bomberos like hype video on MLB Network's yeah. social media page. Get yourself excited and, you know, to throw it back to our heyday, you got to love these guys.
0: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I think it, the only thing I'll, I'll add real quick before we, before we wrap is essentially this – I have a question for you, I guess. And essentially, the, the Mariners should break the curse this year. Like, all things considered – so long as they don't shit the bed down the stretch, I'll knock on everything now. Don't worry, I'm knocking on wood and everything. Which being a Mariners fan, like seems realistic. But um, so long as that doesn't happen, they should should make the playoffs. So given that assumption, it basically just comes to down to seating in this wild card position. So Sam, I know you mentioned a couple of podcasts ago. Like, it's it's the 6-3 matchup, so it's the last wild card, and then the, lat, the three seed, which is the lowest um, standings uh, of the division winners. Those guys play, or those teams play, and the winner of that would play the Yankees at this point. At this point, I should say, because the Yankees are kind of falling apart down the stretch that Tampa might actually catch them. But... Yeah. Assuming it's the Yankees that that pulled that off. Whereas the four or five matchup, which are the two higher rated or higher standings uh, of the of the wild card teams, the winner of that team ends up playing the Houston Astros in the divisional series, the divisional round. So obviously the Astros are a really bad matchup for for the for the Mariners if you're looking ahead. But you have to look ahead to even to get to, to even get to that point. So my question for you is: Would you rather shoot for like try to be the four seed, so that you're hosting, you're guaranteed to host wildcard playoff games in Seattle, or would you prefer to be the six seed and travel to Cleveland or Minnesota, whoever's whoever it ends up being out of, out of that division, probably Cleveland though. And then possibly have a favorable matchup, but not guaranteed that you'd get playoff games at home, but possibly a more favorable matchup in the divisional series. Like where's your head at when it comes to that?
1: Mm that's tough. It's not
0: it, it's not like the Mariners are going to like lose games on purpose to be the 6 seed yeah. over like the 4 or 5. Like they're going right. to go as high as they can go, but in theory like what's the best outcome in your mind?
1: I think the best outcome is the one that gives us the most reasonable path to the World Series.
0: So you're going for
1: it. Yeah. And so, like, I don't really, I would rather risk not having playoff games at home in Seattle. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: I would risk that, risk that atmosphere and what it might mean for our city to have that playoff atmosphere at Safeco Field. And yeah, you heard me say it Safeco Field. (laughs) I would risk that in order to give us a better chance of hosting playoff games in the ALDS ALCS and potentially world series. And so the answer there to me is in some ways I would rather, I I would rather play the Yankees than Houston. I want to avoid Houston as long as possible because Houston has our number. I fucking hate Houston (laughs) <laughs> as does everybody else in the MLB But at the as, as sweet as it would be to beat them I also recognize the fact that they've really had our number this year Particularly yeah. in that last series that we played Coming out of the All-Star break So I kind of would prefer to almost be the sixth seed Play Cleveland, who we have matched up well against the last two series that we played against them has been very competitive, winnable games. Yep. New York, same thing. They've, they, I mean, New York does scare me. If they turn it on, then it's like lights are out. But since we the All Star well break, against New
0: York this year, this week, yeah, this year, though,
1: we've played well against New York since the All Star break. New York has not been good. Mm-hmm. Um, And I feel like that gives us, that path as the sixth seed gives us the best path to the AL Championship Series, which at the end of the day yeah. is what I want. And at that point if we play Houston or if we play Tampa or Toronto or whoever, like bring it. But I, I want to get to the ALCS and I think the best way for us to do that at this point is to avoid Houston and go play Cleveland in the 3-6 matchup. What are your thoughts if that
0: that? Were... Before I get to my thoughts, if like if that were the scenario, would you expect us to get to the ALCS?
1: I would expect us to beat Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I think we're better than Cleveland. I think New York is a toss-up. I think that's tough. Um, yeah. I think New York is a, the better team on any given day. And they're just the pressure of playoffs and the reality that it's win or go home type baseball would make me nervous that New York would kind of like snap out of the slump that they've been in. Right. But I I, I have a hard time expecting us to beat New York. I'd probably say I'm like 55% New York would win. 45 percent, mm. we would win
0: but but there, you're, there's a realistic the scenario side,
1: yeah that's realistic that's pretty good odds yeah on the flip side i think if we're playing houston in the division series i think it's like 70 30 yeah 75 the one thing
0: yeah that I think I, I think I agree with you for the most part. The only thing that I'll bring up just to play devil's advocate with with Houston in particular is we have not faced Houston with Luis Castillo yet and the pitching rotation where it would be. That's true. So if we're only running three or four guys out there, we might match up a little bit better. Um, but Houston's definitely got our number, and I'm not discounting that at all. And they're definitely the scariest matchup they're they're the best team in the AL by far and possibly in all of baseball. So and if
1: and if I'm telling the fan part of me to shut the hell up and let the competitor in me speak, it's like screw that. I want to be the four seed, host a home wild card game, beat Tampa Bay's ass, and then show Houston what's up in the playoffs. And then let's go play New York. Like that's the competitor in me is like I want Houston and I want to be the team to knock them out badly. Right. As a yeah, fan I would love that. As a fan of a team that hasn't had any playoff success <laughs> really in what 25 years?
0: Well, we got at the ALCS in 2001, didn't we?
1: I thought we were out in the division series.
0: No, I think we I think we won the division series and lost to, to the New Yankees York? I think in the ALCS, which I think would be like that was going to be something that i kind of was going to bring up too it might be kind of like a for sure it might be kind of a cool like turn that turn that around on the yankees and the alcs if we were to meet them there yeah um but given that too it's not guaranteed that new york would even win their divisional series right we might be playing one of the wildcard teams in the alcs so it it's a it's just an interesting conversation, you know. I just wanted to bring that up just yeah. to see where we're at. Um, and g I your feel at.
1: I feel privileged to even be talking about it on right? September. Yeah, 8th. it's
0: exciting. It's exciting. <laughs> Pretty it's wild. Exciting. You're gonna be you're gonna be st- still be talking about it in a week too, no matter what, basically. So yeah, um, which is awesome. So uh, tune of the Mariners. Uh, one thing I'll just say, like I think. <laughs> We can both agree that the five seed where they're at right now is probably the worst case scenario because you're not Agreed. hosting playoff games in the wild card round and you probably have a tougher matchup against either the Rays or the Blue Jays, especially if it ends up being the Blue Jays in the four seed, because then you're minus Robbie Ray. Agreed. So we we are hoping for definitely not that scenario. Um, I don't want to go to St. Pete though either. Tampa's really good at home, as odd as it is, because they don't have fans, but they're really good at home. It's like the Stanford um, of the MLB. <laughs> but they're, 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 yeah, exactly. There's, there's shit on the road, though. So if we host Tampa, I'm feeling okay in the four seed. Yeah. Um. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I think I agree with you. I'd rather be the sixth seed and and go to Cleveland. So yeah, we'll I think see what, five, we'll see what happens though.
1: Yeah, five is not where we want to be.
0: No, no, not at all. All right. Well, tune in to Huskies on Saturday, uh, 1 p.m. Pac-12 Network, Washington. So the local regional network of Pac-12 Network. If if you have that, yeah. Um, if if you only have the national network, it will not be on that one. So you'll have to go to a bar or a friend's house or stream illegally, like I do, um, to do that. So
1: what?
0: Yeah. I'm not gonna, you know, what's that? divulge divulge that information on air here, but I I, I will say that yeah, there's a little bit of shenanigans that happen at the Frederickson household to watch Mariners <laughs> games and and watch Pac-12 Network games. So anyway, <laughs> um, tune into tune into the UW Portland State game Saturday. Hopefully UW handles business. Tune into the Mariners down the stretch uh, again. Like I said, big big series against the Braves coming up. I think tomorrow's or today's game, the Friday game is on Apple TV. Plus I believe that's free for anyone that has Apple TV. Um, You don't even need a plus account to watch that. So you should be able to watch that even if you don't have Apple TV plus or root sports. So tune into that game. They have a cool broadcast too. Um, And then, oh yeah, there's a football team playing on Monday uh, with a certain quarterback coming back to town.
1: So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 pete carroll co- comments today were very interesting to that Spicy. Um, and yeah that that'll be very interesting to see i think that's the the biggest storyline going in is is what are the fans going to do and does pete actually go along with it because there's f- like almost for sure at this point there's going to be booze almost for sure at this point point.
1: 100 100 the fans are going to boo What Pete Carroll said today was eye opening in the sense that, like, I am no longer confident that there will even be like a tribute video for Russell Wilson,
0: which is because bizarre,
1: (laughs) which there most certainly should be. He was part of the Super Bowl winning team, and you know, he was your franchise QB for 10 years. Yeah, (laughs) you should definitely be playing a tribute video. Regardless what happened, but Pete Carroll, it oh, they are not friends. It is ego versus ego, and it's going to end man. up in a heap of awkwardness on Monday. And if you're not tuning yeah. into that, I don't know what you're doing with your life because it's going to be one way or the other. It's going to be you know awkward. AM. Kardashians meet the NFL <laughs> type shit. <laughs> This, it is.
0: Is, this is this is this is hard knocks in season but not actually on hbo it's just on espn live
1: yeah it's gonna be wild but he's for yeah. sure the fans are for sure at this point gonna boo him you can't say what he said multiple times this offseason and not get booed i would boo him
0: yeah you, you don't say that
1: i would sign up boo
0: <laughs> boo yeah i'll probably boo for my couch so anyway yeah um yeah Interesting, interesting uh, nonetheless, though, and uh, that'll be a fascinating storyline going into Monday. But anyway, keep it tuned in here, guys. We'll we'll have plenty to talk about next week. Hopefully, Justin's back with us, and we'll have a lot to reflect on both Huskies, Mar- uh, Seahawks, and a little bit of Mariners sprinkled in there as well. Um, anything else that you want to touch base on, Sam?
1: Nope, I think we're good to go
0: we're g2g all right thanks for listening folks as always we appreciate the support subscribe and follow if you haven't already and leave us a message via the anchor link in our description until next time
1: go mariners and go dogs and boo russell wilson that bastard